0: You should save your lives for something more important
1: things that matter lie about things that matter
0: yeah and on that note Um,
1: i only lie when it counts
0: yeah exactly (laughs) hello everybody and welcome back to more interesting than frankie matos i'm frankie matos hence why i am hosting this program Uh, It's been a while, once again. Our last episode was in February with Anna Rourke. Uh, I recognize that it's been a while since then. And I recognize that that's probably not a great way to have a wildly successful podcast. At least it was less time than between the previous episodes. So, points for that? Question mark? Um, No, but for real. I have... but all the projects on the back burner over and over again, repeatedly, on account of the usual things, you know, the day job, but also because in the last two months, I have moved twice. I would not recommend it, if you were asking. (laughs) I don't think I would recommend that. It's not a lot of fun. I don't like carrying things very much. It's not great for my back, not great for living in general, but I have my own apartment now. Well, not my own. I have roommates, uh, which is great. Uh, speaking of uh, people who have been on this podcast, Anna Rourke is one of them and a mutual friend. So uh, we're having a good time over here. You know, it's like uh, it's, it's very nice to be feeling like a real adult, right? Like I've got a sense of independence that I sort of kind of felt in college with a dorm room. But uh, this is like the most real version of it so far, and I don't know. I'm enjoying it so far. The sound in here—I don't know if the mic is picking it up—is still very echoey. I have not really done much to baffle sound. I'm still trying to figure out how. The ceilings are very tall because we're on the top floor of an apartment complex. Uh, I can't. I need. I need to like find a ladder or something. I can't even reach the ceiling to like put foam or anything. And, you know, the walls are so large that, like, just putting up a couple of pictures and calling it a day really won't do enough. So I'm going to have to figure out a solution there. Um, Any audio people have any recommendations? Do let me know, you know, things I can do without, like, you know, adding a new layer of drywall or (laughs) removing the one that's currently there. You know, I can't exactly do that. Uh, And I certainly won't get my security deposit back. (laughs) So we can't do that. But, you know, that's one thing. Obviously the day job still a lot of hours um but it's the thing that's afforded me this apartment so i'm not gonna complain about that really i've also been working on other projects just things i have to do to make money i have gigs um i'm starting to realize that maybe you have to say no to some gigs sometimes you know like before i had a full-time job that paid okay I was in a very much yes mindset, you know, like the Jim Carrey movie. It was the yes man thing where it's just anything anyone offered me or asked me to do. If it would pay even a little bit, I would say yes, because you have to when, you know, you don't know that you'll always have a gig, right? So now that I have way less time and way less energy, I'm having to try and teach myself how to say no which is something I've never done before. Um, I took a gig as sort of a favor to my aunt, <laughs> who texts me out of the blue. She goes, I have a friend who wants you to play some guitar as she walks down the aisle at her vow renewal. I go, okay, well, I, I've i never done that before. Y- you know, you don't mean like a party or anything afterwards. Like they don't want like me to play classic rock in their, uh, their backyard while they all celebrate. You mean they want me to play at this ceremony. She says, yeah, I told her that you would play Canon in D. Okay. First problem with that. Canon in D is not a solo guitar piece at all. (laughs) It's not even remotely a solo guitar piece. It is an ensemble piece. Um, You know, I mean, you can play some semblance of it, but you can't really play. I mean, I'm sure somebody out there who's wildly talented can play More or less a pretty solid version of that, but I am no a real classical guitar player. I did study it in high school and college, but I was always bad at it. I always failed, so I didn't always fail in high school, but college I didn't do very well. But I take it anyway because she goes, it doesn't have to be special or anything. It just, you know, she just wants some nice guitar music while she and her husband walk down the aisle to renew their vows. I say, all right, I'll do it. You know, it's a little bit of pocket cash for only playing a short amount of time. I say, that's fine. And I get in contact with the lady. And, you know, her friend is sweet and whatever. I don't think she knows a whole lot about classic music. She asks me, classical music, I should say. She asks me, um, she says, oh, you're going to play canon D, right? And spells canon like the, you know, the medieval weapon canon. I say, you know, I'm going to play something like it because it's not a solo piece. I'm going to outline the chords. She doesn't know the difference. She says, fine. Um, And then a couple of days before the ceremony, she says, do you think you could also play just a little thing between the readings? And I ask, any specific piece? Does it have to be something to do with the mass? She says, no, uh, just something pretty. While we, you know, walk between switching the readings. Um, I've only ever been to one vow renewal. I did not really remember how the ceremony went. I did not realize that there is one reading and then there is the gospel for those who are not, you know, didn't grow up in the church. The gospel is like the thing that the priest reads and then the readings are done by like a lector. who can be anybody. And at, you know, weddings, funerals, vow renewals, it's usually someone in the family who just, you know, does it because it's the thing to do. Um, so the day of, I get there and the uh, priest, I know pretty well. He did um, my grandmother's funeral. Uh, He is someone who is very old and has a very thick accent. I don't know exactly what I want to say Vietnamese because I think that they do Vietnamese masses there, but I could be wrong. Um, But yeah, a very thick accent. He's pretty old, not very uh, good hearing. (laughs) So, you know, he's trying to communicate to me what's going to happen, and I'm trying to communicate to him what the lady told me was going to happen. I think eventually we both kind of just settle on the like, we're not really fully understanding what the other is saying, but I think we kind of get it. So I'm like, fine, I feel confident. I hook my stuff up. I'm sitting on the altar, which is not the place you want to be, but you know, it's a gig. So I do it. And, um, you know, ceremony starts, they start walking. Priest looks at me. I go, all right. I start playing my, uh, you know, outlining the chords to Canon and D, which is fine. sounds pretty enough. The layperson wouldn't know the difference. And, um, you know, they walk down the aisle. They get up to the front. Priest looks at me again. I go, cool, time to stop. Things are going great. Lady's daughter walks up, looks great. She's dressed all nice. Family's looking at her like there's our little girl. She's going to go do this reading. It's going to be real special. She gets up, goes to the lectern, does the reading, goes off without a hitch. Lovely. Priest looks at me. I go, all right. Time to play something pretty. I just start outlining some different chords. I can improvise good enough, right? She walks back to her seat. I stare at the pews for a moment, and I realize uh, nobody's getting up. I turn to the priest. I realize he's not getting up. And that is the moment where I go, Oh, fuck! He definitely wants me to do something else. (laughs) So... I just kind of look at him for a while until he finally looks back at me and he starts kind of mouthing to me, hallelujah, do the hallelujah. And I'm like, you know, I, I kind of turn away. There's no microphone, by the way, I should mention. So he should have realized that I wasn't planning to sing anything. But um, I turned to him and I, technically not true, but his English wasn't very good. So I just go, I don't sing. Right. Nobody told me to sing. Obviously, I do sing if you know me. But I, in that moment, I don't. Right. <laughs> So, <laughs> this is the best moment of this entire situation. He gets up from his chair, gives me like the talk to the hand sort of stop symbol. And then this 100,000 year old man with his raspy voice just starts singing, Alleluia, 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 as he walks over to the, the lectern to do the gospel. Um, I hope that didn't sound like I was impersonating his accent because I'm not trying to. I mean, he literally just in the most awkward way shouted the words Alleluia in a semi-musical fashion. (laughs) I mean, at this point, the lady who hired me and her whole family are very, very clearly trying to hold in laughter. I'm kind of trying to hold in laughter, but also feeling pretty embarrassed for my own self at that moment. But like, you know, in moments like that, you kind of just when you have done enough bad gigs, you just chalk it up to like, all right, this is what's happening. You learn to deal with it and just kind of embrace the chaos. So I embraced the chaos and um, I have to still sit here, by the way, because it's not like I can just kind of jump the little rail that surrounds the altar right like i've got my whole ass amplifier like you know like an acoustic guitar amplifier not like i'm playing like you know a metal solo of canon in D, you know but there's no way i can get off this altar i'm there for the long haul until this thing is over so i'm just you know sitting there mostly embarrassed but i can tell that the people in the pews are having a good time so i'm not that worried about it you know, the priest gives his gospel again, nobody can really understand him, not his fault, but you know, you can tell that everybody's just sort of like, all right, this is what's happening. And then, so they get up, they do their vows and you know, I kind of knew this was coming, but was hoping it wasn't the worst thing he could do. He looks at me and he goes, you know, that sort of like hand motion. That's like, all right, on with it. And I'm like, all right, at this point, I know I don't have a closing hymn. So I look at him and I go, what, just anything? (laughs) Because at this point it's like, fuck it, right? Like, what else do I have to lose? So (laughs) I'm like, I start kind of outlining a little thing, just playing whatever. And I go, just anything? And he goes, no, 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 (laughs) no. and shuts the whole thing down and everybody just walks back to their seats. Oh God, it was so combination embarrassing and hilarious but it's not my fault because nobody prepared me i wouldn't i didn't prepare a piece you know after the mass ends i apologize to him profusely right i say i'm sorry nobody told me that i was going to be doing the Alleluia. you might have said it but i i didn't hear it and um even if i had i didn't prepare one anyway i don't know how much of this he understands um but he's like you know he's clearly still kind of annoyed but he's like whatever walks off the altar i clean up my stuff I watch this family take pictures so that I can just check out with the lady. even though she'd paid me before it started. I'm like, I just want to check out or check in whatever and make sure that she's satisfied. You know, she and I have a good laugh about how weird it was, uh, and embarrassing for me. (laughs) It was, (laughs) but she's kind about it. You know, they knew my family growing up. So they all, you know, she and her husband have like different memories to share with me of my various uncles and my dad. And then, um, And that was it. It wasn't, you know, I was going to say it wasn't so bad. Obviously it was, but like it turned out fine because at the end of the day, everyone was happy. I don't know. Sometimes you just got to say no to gigs, man. (laughs) Not that I think, you know, like not that this turned out badly. Uh, You know, I'm glad to have gotten the cash and I'm glad to have made someone happy. But like, I don't know, all this time that I could be spending working on the projects that I really want to get done. Finally finishing writing some new songs would be great. Recording more podcasts would be great. Sleeping more than six hours in a night would be great. but it is what it is, you know just uh just a fun story about where I've been I guess. But I'm back. I'm here, and uh, we have the magnificent Delaney Hafner on the show. We recorded this interview um. A month and a half ago maybe less than that I really tried we recorded it right before it was time to move and then that was it I just I I, I chalked it up to just like whatever it's not gonna be edited in a timely fashion so um, on account of that all of the show and gig dates that she plugged have already passed except for one which I will get to in a moment um, but I think what I should do then is promote what she has upcoming. Um, it looks like the next big thing is going to be Friday, September 24th at Amityville Music Hall. Um, the Bell Curves will be playing. Let me see if I can find anything else. Um, there may be more if you go to her website, but the big one to talk about is the Pine Barrens Jam, which we do mention at the end of the podcast. But the information has actually changed since then. Um, We'd mentioned that the Pine Barrens Jam was in an Indiegogo state at the moment that we recorded it, but that Indiegogo has since ended. And now the tickets are available on Eventbrite. But the best way to find all of the information and links for the Pine Barrens Jam, which is a Long Island music festival for Long Island and by Long Island, um, you know, Delaney's one of the uh, curators who actually put me on the uh, Lantern Sound Recording Rig stage. It's an acoustic stage. Um, But if you want to find the ultimate location for everything, information-wise, it is at pbjamli. That's at pbjamli on Instagram. I will be playing a bunch of people who I adore will be playing... um, people who i think are just great i mean sarah gross and Rourke, the bell curves are playing at the, the that's all That the after party um rory kelly bruce Allwan. gee i mean just so many good people pete mancini christine sweeney aaron street brian gallo i'm just looking at this poster now laurianne Creus, all people who um are good friends of mine who i just love and who are also just really really good so um I would recommend going to that. That is September 18th, 2021, and the location has moved to Off Farm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know if you should stress the H. Off or Ringhoff, whatever it is, that's the new location on September 18th, 2021. I will be playing, Delaney and her band will be playing, People Who You Should Know and Love, if you know anything about Long Island music. And even if you don't, uh, we'll all be playing. So... That's what I've got. Um, I've made you listen to just me for enough time. So why don't you stick around? And here is my conversation with Delaney Hafner of the Bell Curves. All right. We have Delaney of the Bell Curves. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you? Oh,
0: okay. What a lame way to start a conversation, but I feel like you have to, right?
1: <laughs> well, I just like, i that's like my real answer. Like, I really just am doing pretty well. so
0: That's good. I like to hear that. Um, yeah. What do you do for anyone who um, is missing out and doesn't know?
1: Well, like my music stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, whatever you feel is the most important thing about you, I guess. But I know you as a musician.
1: Oh, that's a big question then. <laughs> well, so my band is called The Bell Curves. So I guess like that's sort of the short version of what I do. Um, so, yeah, the bell curves is my vehicle for songwriting and performing and releasing music. Um, I This is going to sound maybe pretentious, but I sort of consider myself like kind of a band leader with that's the bell curves. Because like, yeah, because like, I feel like I'm sort of like, you know, like I write the songs and like I'm playing bass in the band now, which is really cool. I really like being in that role, but yeah. So I kind of think of it as like band leading in like the way that like, you know, the, the band leaders of like the forties and fifties, like led, you know, big bands. Um, but it has also like, so the bell care sort of started out as a, as a solo project after my previous band sort of fizzled out. So yeah, it started as a solo project and then, I kind of realized that like, A, I was using the same musicians for most things. So that, and I just really like being able to collaborate and having other people be part of it. And I think that like you can get a deeper level of collaboration when you play with people consistently.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's a big thing. And like, local music scenes it seems it's like yeah. everybody's in everybody's band at least sometimes
1: right because <laughs> i'll this- see
0: like other people playing in other people's bands and i'm like wait what project are they playing in this weekend? Cause people post the flyers for whatever they're doing. So I'm like, exactly. Oh, I'll be like, Oh, Anne's playing. I'll be like, Oh no, wait, the bell curves are playing, but Anne's in it. Right. Like, shout out Anna. Rural. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I don't exist in a vacuum. Like we all exist as part of like this network of people. So yeah, just kind of like leaning into that and letting people who are good at what they do, like do the thing that they're good at because like that can only be good for my songs. So, like, maybe that's, like, a selfish approach, but it's also, like, I don't know. I think it's easy, especially during the pandemic, it's easy to become very, like, like alone in all oh, of this yeah. and feel like you have to do everything yourself. You have to self-market. You have to self-produce. You have to do your own artwork. And it's, like, being able to do a lot of those things is great. And knowing how to communicate what you want to other people is very valuable but there's also something to be said for again like letting people who are good at what they do do their thing well
0: yeah absolutely and i think people who do their thing well also really like to have a band leader to go here's the thing we're doing here's the thing you do here's Mm -hmm. how i think it can fit into what we're doing i mean because when you show up to a thing and then somebody's like okay play it's a little bit right. like i mean some people just roll with that and they're like oh yeah let me show my stuff but then i think most mm-hmm. of the people at least people we know are like a little guidance here please
1: yeah yeah exactly um and i i think that that's really good for like the creative process because like you have someone who's sort of steering the ship but it's it's a it takes a village so to speak so um mm-hmm. yeah Um, So
0: the well Curves is a country project. Sorry, the zoom delay. No, that's okay. Um,
1: I've been calling it garage Americana Mm -hmm. as of late because, like, I think that Americana is such a broad genre and like it can encompass so many different things. And any kind of music that I release is probably going to fall generally under the umbrella of Americana. Um, and then like, I like adding garage. To the front of that to just kind of evoke like some of that like punkier grittier sounds that that like is, is associated just with like garage wise, pop lyric. or garage rock
0: yeah it's what it's, i was gonna say there's definitely edge to it it's definitely grit like yeah uh, not only musically but lyrically it's uh yeah. um, you know not that i i associate country or uh, americana or f- even folk with like happiness or joy but there's um mm-hmm. And even so, I guess there is still this traditionally, but like particularly with your music, there is, um, it's like, I don't even want to call it self-deprecation because it's not that. It's like an inward look. It's like you don't let yourself off the hook in a way.
1: Yeah, I think it's very like critical across the board. Uh, And I think like being critical of yourself And I mean, critical of authority and just like always asking questions is really important because like, you never know how things could be better. And so, yeah, I I think that like criticism, but not in a, like a, like you said, self-deprecating way, but more in just like a, how can I genuinely be better? Like I'm, I'm good where I am, but like, how can I be better? And the same thing, like on a bigger picture, like okay, things are the way they are right now, but like, why are they that way? And how can they be better?
0: Right. Yeah. Like your, um, promise of 95 album is very inward. And then you look at 2020, um, uh, the EP 2020 uh, and also the mm-hmm. year, but it the focus mm-hmm. definitely shifts outward and is very, um, I mean, like scathingly critical of, the united states and its people and perhaps the world if i didn't pay attention well enough i don't know but Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly at least i was focused in on america states
1: yeah it's it's definitely focused in on the u.s mostly just because like that's really the only place that i feel i have any right to criticize i mean i'm not from anywhere else so i I, I don't (laughs) really feel like i'm in a position to like criticize other countries and i just i'm not like a an expert on foreign affairs so i I don't really have any information. Like the only experience I have to draw from is my own, which is the experience of an American.
0: Yeah. I'm curious because like the bell curves is in other ways, also a family project. And um, I just can't imagine playing or writing songs. I love my family. I get along with them in the ways I get along with them. I don't think I could write about politics and sing about politics with my family. I don't think that would work at all. And I'm always so uh, fascinated by people who not only manage to make that happen, but who feel it seems like they're driven towards the same ends of like criticize this thing that we both feel very strongly about or like praise this thing that we both feel very strongly about. Is, is that always mm-hmm. like easy and natural between you and, and, and Bill's your dad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my dad is my guitar player and he's also my co-producer. Um, and we work in our home studio, Silo recordings. Um, and I'm really lucky to have parents who are most, we mostly agree on, on political things, um so yeah, it's always kind of come naturally. It's never really been a question. And I'm I'm very lucky in that way because I know a lot of people the last four or five years have been very like divisive and it's taken a lot of emotional energy to work through those things within families.
0: It definitely does. Um is it uh It makes you see l-
1: people differently.
0: Oh for sure. Know? I wonder how long then have you uh and your dad been playing together?
1: Wow. Um I mean, technically, as long as I've been alive, I
0: guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a musical child, um, musical household. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember doing a talent show in like, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade and I sang Good Riddance by Green Day. Yeah, and my dad played the rad. guitar for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um And even younger than that, I started playing. So I played French horn throughout my whole time in school. Um, when I was a kid until I graduated high school um, and I started playing really young because my school had this summer music program. So I started playing the French horn in the summer music program after I was done in third grade, which is very young. And my parents always encouraged it. And uh, my dad was in a bunch of bands and had, you know, gear and studio stuff when he was, I guess, my age, which is kind of weird to think about. And then my parents had my older sister and then like by the time I was born like the music stuff had sort of taken the back burner for my dad and he just had like other focuses like just raising a young family and uh he was into like he had a couple of classic cars and just like other stuff kind of took priority so yeah I picked up a guitar when I was like 11 or 12 Mm. Um, yeah, he had gotten rid of a lot of gear that he had like in the nineties, but there were a couple of acoustic guitars that just kind of stuck around in the house. So yeah, I, I dug one up and I actually, one of the first songs I would, I remember writing, um, was actually about Hurricane Katrina. Oh, wow. It's not because I knew, yeah, it's not because I knew anyone in New Orleans or Louisiana. I was just like, I remember seeing footage and just feeling so like moved and like sad for these people. Um, and like, I just needed to like express that. And, um, yeah. So that was like one of the first songs I wrote. And, uh, my mom wrote songs with me for a while. Cause, um, so sweet. she's, she's a bit of a writer. So she would help me write lyrics. Sometimes she would write lyrics and I would write music, which was really great. Um, mm-hmm. and then my dad, took me to a recording studio in Brooklyn. Um, I guess I was, I must have been 15. And we recorded a few songs there with a friend of his. And uh, after that, we kind of decided to take a jump into recording ourselves. Um, And we both kind of started learning at the same time because I wanted to go to school for recording, so I had to start learning when I was like 16, 17, so I could make audition tapes. And my dad is just entirely self-taught. He just... Learned by doing it uh, with our early projects and um, kind of carrying over knowledge that he had from like the analog days into digital stuff. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the the background.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good full story. I'm really fascinated yeah, by the that's detail. that's the long
1: version. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> good. That's what we like here. I'm really yeah. fascinated by the detail of writing your first song about Hurricane Katrina because that's like that fits The image of you I have in my brain of like the let me write about like a thing that, you know, I've seen or felt that, you know, like it's a I don't even want to say humanitarian, but just like humanist, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, thing, which is funny because like when I think about I always ask people like, what's the first song you wrote? Because it's like the first songs I tried to write were so bad and so (laughs) all over the map of like like I did this camp when I was I don't know what age I was. was my first year of high school so 13 14 and um I hadn't really written a proper song and um we had we were they like threw us in bands and um I was like the oldest I was like the last year you could do it so I think I was 13 and it was all like kids mm-hmm. and then me and so they kind of looked to me they're like you're old why don't why don't you write the words and I wrote just the <laughs> most generic like it was like literally the chorus was like, people are dying all around the world. Here I am crying because I lost a girl. And it's so funny because oh I'm like, part of me is going that humanist thing, but doesn't know or maybe at the time care enough to actually have an issue to present. It's just people are mm-hmm. dying of what and why? Mm, mm-hmm. Didn't think about it. Didn't write about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's also like kind of a brilliant way of framing it because it like the lack of detail just reinforces what you're saying
0: perhaps you know what if I you're mean? being generous <laughs> like the
1: lack of like the lack of detail about the causes of millions of people's deaths reinforces the uh, the main idea which is that you feel the narrator feels like their troubles are you know not as bad as everyone else's yeah
0: and then they, they you can bring that back to the whole like self-critical thing uh maybe mm-hmm. we relate in that way where i'm like well here's the things that i'm feeling but why why am i crying because i lost a girl which i never lost a girl because i never had one at that age um not mm-hmm. that you can have a person uh i'm purely speaking in the uh, lexicon that i was capable of using back then <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah i enough about me i uh <laughs> get off track with things. Um, I had more. I wanted to ask about specific lyrics. I had this one because it's like interesting. Uh, it's funny because I can tell. How do I phrase this in a way that where I'm not putting the cart before the horse? I I do get mm-hmm. the feeling of like old soul and like cowgirl out of time from you, <laughs> which is
1: a <laughs> hilarious way to
0: phrase that. I guess.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'll take it. I love that. <laughs>
0: but it seems like that's kind of like not far off cuz i'm i i was i listened to you play um and i wanted to look it up just to make sure i get it right but i remember mm-hmm. words to your songs off the top of my head usually but 1968 oh, you've got you. this like this this um wordplay of like I'll, I'll just read this out and i miss the greenwich village playing old folk songs planning the resistance long before my folks were born which is like I think that's such a brilliant way to write that because it's like, I miss this thing that I wasn't there for, but the person listening, unless they know about you, doesn't necessarily know that you weren't around for that until the moment you say it. And I feel like that's such a, it's it's a, such a cliched thing to say that you're an old soul, but to put it that way is like brilliant. I always love when people find a new way to say something that a lot of people have felt.
1: Well, I think that like, that what you just said is like that's everything that's that's all art or storytelling or entertainment because there are only so many like story archetypes you know and like no one no one is really experiencing anything truly unique like humans have been around for how many thousands of years like for me to think that like I'm the first one to think I was born in the wrong decade. Like that's ridiculous. Everyone has felt that at some point. And so like, I think all art and storytelling is just like finding a way to say something that so many people have felt, but say it in a new way, you know what I mean? Like that's it. Absolutely. That's That's everything. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. But Yeah. Thank you for the, the compliment on that, on that lyric. And I actually have to give another shout out to my dad. Cause he helped me uh, fine tune that that chorus. Um, I think he was the one who suggested reusing the word folk in a different way that kind of like that that wordplay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's what that, that whole song is about. Is kind of like having nostalgia for things I'd never actually experienced Hmm. and like having nostalgia for things that I just sort of like things I can imagine based on other people's stories or media or, you know, versions of history.
0: Of course. Yeah, there is also like the the risk of romanticizing something that might not have been what we imagine it to be, but I honestly never unless it's like particularly problematic, that never bothers me because I'm like, yeah, remember the best parts of it. No one remembers like the garbage um what do you call them? Like one-off were popular for a week songs from like 1968. So why would you only focus on the negative or Or not, why would you not romanticize it? I guess. I don't know.
1: And that's another thing that I I always think about is that like when people are comparing music of now to any generation of music, like, of course, only the good things are going to get remembered. Like, it's exactly what you just said. Like, we're not going to bother talking about things that weren't good. There's a reason we forgot about them. So it's not, it's not useful to like, yeah, like it's not useful to compare, you know, some throwaway pop song or some, cookie cutter pop star to like real artists like we should be comparing apples to apples oh yeah i love throwing that
0: at people when somebody's like oh music was so much better in the 70s and then like i'll throw some like, like no. deep deep track that i know that i like but i know they'll never mm-hmm. have heard of and they'll be like wait right. what and i'll be like yeah exactly yeah. you don't remember that one do you
1: right. There's a, and there's a, again like there's a reason that we don't remember everything it yeah. gets forgotten because it wasn't good
0: or at least wasn't popular (laughs) enough. I, uh, I, which on the other complete other side of that is where I'm like on this island full of like people, you know, of all ages who are making like this awesome music and like just by the nature of the thing, most of them know most people are never going to hear of, even though like so many of them are like incredible. I mean, I get that feeling when I meet so many of the people around here. I mean, I started like legit, in the scene, uh, maybe 2015, like end ish of 2015. And I remember like before then I'd done like college open mics and I'd gone to like sort of, you know, people playing because it's fun for them kind of open mics. And then the first thing I went to was, um, friend of the pod, Mike Perlmutter's podcast, uh, podcast, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Perlmutter's open mic. Uh, and um, I saw Christine Sweeney play and that was the first time I was like oh that there's like legit artists like you just get this aura Mm -hmm. from people and like more and more every time I've met people they've like just opened that eye that is like hiding of like oh you can like stuff that isn't what everyone else knows already. You can, there can be really good stuff and people can just straight up not know that it exists. And, uh, that's both heartbreaking and kind of makes me at least feel special. Cause I'm like, Oh, I know these people. They're my, they're my best kept mm-hmm. secret. Not that I keep them secret. I promote everybody's stuff mm-hmm. all the time because I'm a, a fangirl of everybody. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, I don't know. I guess I just said everything about that. (laughs) Don't know if there was an an extra point to be made.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think I, I am lucky because like my parents are like, again, they're like music people. So like, I kind of grew up listening to a lot of like, I don't want to say underground, but like not mainstream necessarily. Um, So like, for instance, like when I was in like fifth grade, like I had like, a, you know, we, we had those books of CDs, you know, you put in your CD oh, player yeah. and you flip through them. So I had like so many CDs that I just sort of gleaned from my parents and my older sister was also like a music person. Um, so yeah, I just had like a really eclectic CD collection as a kid. Like I had like a Johnny Cash CD. Uh, I had an Allison Krauss CD. I was obsessed with the white stripes oh, as yeah. like an like an 11 year old, like they were my first concert when I was like a tween. Oh, Um, lucky! (laughs) Yeah. So like, I, I guess I can't necessarily relate to that. Like moment of realization because it was just sort of always there. um, Because it was just like in my family culture. That's why I love asking people that experience
0: because I'm like, I wonder what it's like for people to like, Did did was there like a moment for because I I imagine most people at least had a moment where they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. But like for me, all of those moments hit in like the same couple of years of like, Mm
1: -hmm. oh,
0: local music's legit. Oh, I can just be friends with someone who's amazing. And then like, oh, Mm -hmm. I can maybe be someone who's amazing if I try hard. And just like all those things clicked like within like the span of like college (laughs) freshman
1: right yeah i I guess for me it was just sort of like always there like my whole life you know like my, my dad was in bands and stuff when he was again like in his 20s and and so it was just always there you know
0: when did it start to become a professional thing for you
1: um i think i always took it seriously my parents started taking me to open mics and helping me get gigs when i was like 14 15 Wow. Um, I remember playing an open mic at the Vale of it music hall when I was like 14 and trying to remember the words to all my new songs that morning when I was getting dressed to go to school. And you went <laughs> um, right in
0: with the originals.
1: Yeah. 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 No, my parents like bold, were just like so, <laughs> I mean, my, yeah, like my parents were more than encouraging. Like they were like truly supporting what I was doing and like truly believed in what I was doing. And, so, yeah, I never really gave it a second thought. I was like, no, like, I wrote these songs. I'm going to play them at the open mic. Like, that's what you do. You go to the open mic to play your songs. Um. So, yeah, it was never, like, a, a question for me. And, again, like, that's just because, like, I grew up in a family culture of that being normal and that being what you do, which is very unique. Yeah, maybe that would explain terms. why your writing
0: is so good. You've been doing it for so long.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, and, and like, that is true. Like, it's really just practice. Like, when you do something for... A long time, like hopefully you get better at it. I at least don't think I got worse.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's for
0: sure. I wonder how many songs, if any, you've just scrapped or like saved for a, a rainy day.
1: I have a few songs right now that I kind of have in my back pocket that just don't really fit kind of the sound that I'm working on with the bell curves, but there have definitely been songs that I just sort of wrote kind of more for myself, like just as a way of process some, some experience or some feeling and like, didn't necessarily warrant like recording or performing or, uh, you know, taking to the next level, but like, I still wrote them and like helped process something in my life. Uh, so yeah, I mean, for me anyway, like that's the biggest part, of songwriting is it's almost more like a diary or journaling um Mm -hmm. way to like reflect on something or process something so yeah
0: do you find it comes all at once ever or like usually
1: usually yeah like most of the time although this hasn't really happened lately I haven't really been writing very much lately, but most of the time I just sort of sit down and write a whole song.
0: Wow. Um, I might go back and
1: edit a little bit, but like the thing is that like I'll have kind of been like stewing on it, you know, like I'll have been thinking about it before I sit down to the song. So like it's been steeping in my brain basically.
0: Do you do like voice memos, Um, phone memos of like notes of things or are you like sit down with the paper or the laptop and just go,
1: I usually am keeping a, like a running note on my phone of like just lines or like thoughts that come into my head. And then when I feel like it's like kind of like bubbling to the top, you know, then I'll like kind of sit down and that's why it's so easy. Cause like all the parts are there. It's just mad, like putting them together. And uh, like, once I get a guitar in my hand, like I'll just kind of start like, thinking of things and then like going to that note on my phone and, and putting things together. Um, So it's kind of like, I I'll be like collecting ingredients for a while and then I just cook it all at once.
0: See that I can more relate to. I have notes and notes of, I literally have a tag now that I made and I, I tag all of my songs. by like what it's about or like even just lines and like passages of like what it's about. And I've even created a, a tag for just one liners where i'm like this doesn't fit in the context of anything but if i have something that it fits the context of i could go back through the one liners like if i've got something where i'm like i've got a passage that i feel strongly about but there's no there's no hook or there's no like snappy thing to bring you back and keep the memory i'll like go through the Mm one-liners and i actually haven't finished writing a song since this process so maybe it's not a great process but i have so many fragments that i love way more than anything i've ever written so tbd on Mm -hmm. that
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i think i do the same thing like if i want a bridge or like i have music for a bridge but i don't really have words for it then like those extra lines fill in the gaps and they can also be like reworked to fit into a, a structure or whatever the case may be. So, I I do find those one liners really helpful and constructive. Nice.
0: I want to shift a yeah. little towards production because um we were at friend of the pod Anna works place for uh was it the Halloween thing? A nice, like, socially distanced outdoors thing for anyone concerned that we were doing things. Yes, and, and it was an
1: outdoor Halloween party just before the second wave. Right, it was just at the end of the summer dip. I feel yep. like, and then things got bad again after that.
0: But there was something you said. Somebody, uh, maybe it was Anne, was like saying mm-hmm. something nice about us being producers, and I felt mm-hmm. like I think you said something like, like I think you said that you're not a real producer, but. I feel like you definitely do see yourself as a real producer. I see you as a real producer because, like, you've produced what is this like four projects for this band, and um, I don't know if you self-produced for the band before.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I kind of originally wanted to be a producer, like, as my like career, but I I kind of just want to produce myself mostly now because I I see producing and songwriting as very closely tied.
0: Absolutely, at least.
1: In, like, the Americana slash roots e genres, I think it's different in, in other genres because, like, the workflow is so different and the approach to songwriting is different. But in genres that are, like, mostly, like, bands playing songs, I think producing and songwriting are really closely tied because, like, when I'm writing a song, like, I, you kind of can't help but hear what's going to be on it later right and that's Absolutely. that's producing and like that's i i just think of them as very very close together
0: yeah if you've ever heard a bad cover you know that there's a close link between songwriting and production because then yeah. you know you love the song but you might hate the cover and you go oh yeah that's they're but, the same song air quotes but mm-hmm. you know the production makes like a big difference when did you start or like producing a very for boring yourself cover. well that's true
1: Um, yeah. Um, so I guess I started producing, well, again, like it's so hard to say because like when I was recording at that studio when I was 15, like I was making like production suggestions and like suggestions of like, oh, like this song should have this sound on it. Or like, I want to do like all of these vocal harmonies or like stuff like that. So Yeah, I guess like very early, but it's just very hard to make to draw those distinctions. And it's also because just the lines between engineering and production and performing and songwriting are also blurred now because it's so much easier to record than it used to be. You know, I mean, in the 60s and 70s, like, it would be too hard to try to produce and engineer at the same time because, like, my dad has a tape machine. Yeah, so my dad has a tape machine and, like, he knows how to use it and, like, knows how to mix on it and everything. But, like, it's much more difficult to make, like, production calls when you're focusing on operating the tape machine and, like, analog engineering is just, like, much more involved, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas like recording digitally, like is just so much easier and cheaper. And so the lines again, between all of those roles, like really blur because like you can be doing all of those things at the same time.
0: Yeah. I remember listening to Lord talk on, uh, Mark Maron's podcast and she was saying something about how like pop music, like specifically electronic pop music has become like the music of the people. And it, cause it's funny cause she, when she made her second album, Melodrama, all of a sudden there was money behind her and she was able to do like pianos and strings and all these things. And then you look at the first album and it's like all digital and like people kind of, at least like if you think in like the 80s mindset would think of like the all digital, all like electronic is like, oh, that's what you need the money for because you need a big studio with fancy stuff. But it's like, no, she's like, we had like a cracked version of Pro Tools and cracked plugins and did it on my friend's laptop. I believe if I'm not misquoting her that that's how they did like her first EP and it's like yeah that's become the music of the people because it's so much not only the barrier for entry in money but the barrier of entry in knowledge because all you got to do is look up how to use it on youtube i tried teaching myself how to play my mom's flute through youtube and i have not been successful i have taught myself how to arrange drums in a step sequencer
1: that's nothing (laughs) right yeah i also think that it's like with, with that kind of a lot, electronic music, like, if you don't need a condenser mic, then that cuts the cost a lot. Like, if all you need is a vocal mic to add, you know, the vocals to it, almost everything else can be in the box, or you can, you spend that money on the instruments. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if you're recording acoustic instruments, then you need, you just need more microphones, <laughs> have yeah. like space to do that in and treatment um, for the
0: room if you really want it to sound right
1: yeah so but it's kind of interesting because like when you think about like folk music and folk instruments like part of the reason that certain instruments became uh you know associated with folk is because they are self accompaniment instruments that also travel very easily the same kind of thing is true of things like drum machines or since like you can self-accompany and, like, it's much easier to do things. Um, you can't accompany yourself with a flute.
0: <laughs> Unless you're Lizzo. <laughs> uh,
1: whereas, like, with a guitar or a banjo or a mandolin, like, you can sing and play along and accompany yourself. And the same is true with, like, that kind of, like, bedroom production.
0: Yeah, that's a whole genre, bedroom pop.
1: Yeah, and it's great. Like, I think it's awesome. Like, it's li- like that's literally folk music.
0: Yeah, it's like the the people's music, what is and isn't that in each era is so fascinating. Yeah. It's funny, too, because like what you're saying with folk music, the instruments are made to be unplugged. And -hmm. that's why it's so hard to mix an acoustic guitar sometimes, because it's literally not made to be all, you know crushed down into this microphone and into like a digital space obviously the art of it has been perfected over years but like it's hard to learn how to make an acoustic guitar sound nice when you play into a microphone you put on like mm-hmm. the new strings and they sound all bright and gorgeous and then you play it in mm-hmm. the microphone and you're like this sounds like i played it underground uh, with a manhole covering me between me and the mic
1: all Right. yeah
0: it's, it's really hard yeah I mean, I'm saying that and I'm sure like someone who went to school for production and stuff is going to be like, huh, idiot. But (laughs) did you go to school for anything music
1: related? Yeah, I went to SUNY Purchase for studio production and actually double majored for with arts management.
0: Oh, see, you're legit. Like you would know engineering from the back of your hand, I would think if you did that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't really like to call it engineering because like to me, like, People who do audio engineering are like building gear or like wiring a brand new high end studio or running sound in a theater. And like those things to me are engineering and like plugging in a microphone and, and hitting record is not really engineering. So I, I don't really call myself an engineer because I, like I, Fair. I can't really do that stuff. Um, I had a professor who was, I mean, he's like, you know, like, an award-winning mix engineer like he's someone who i would call an engineer and he doesn't even call himself an engineer because he's like i don't like i'm not engineering anything i just know how to mix um and the word he used was recordist
0: um and i <laughs> that's think a that, that's a
1: very good term because like it's still like a distinct title and like a distinct role but it's not engineering which i think is useful
0: Yeah, it's so easy to give yourself a lot of titles because, especially when you're filling out like your own distribution sheet, and it's like all the spaces who's the engineer, who's the producer, who's this, that. And it's like if you sat down and recorded yourself into your laptop, technically you're all of those things,
1: right? Like in the context
0: of filling out that form. Right. And it's good if you're trying to look for more work because then you can give yourself those credits. But like when I look at like what I did for like my friend Holden Miller or for our friend Anne, you know, producing Mm -hmm. their projects over the various moments of pre and during pandemic. uh, What I like the most about it and find myself the most identifying with is really arrangement more than anything else. Mm. I mix Mm because I have to more than anything else yes. i mean i, I like to enough but like i don't really enjoy fiddling with the eq until i can get that one ringing frequency out like i'm more or less just no i need this guitar to sound good and it doesn't mm-hmm. so how do i make it
1: mm-hmm. right yeah i think arranging is something that maybe like that, that's a title that maybe gets lost in today's lexicon for lack yeah. of a better uh, term, like, I, I feel like arranging is really foundational to producing. Um, And I think on, like, big records, you would have, like, a separate arranger or someone who's doing the arrangement. Um, but, yeah, I actually, I remember listening to this podcast that was about, like, the it was a history of rock and roll in 500 songs. Um And I highly recommend it to anyone who's into, like, a history of recorded music. And I remember him talking about a particular legal case. I think it was in the 40s. I don't remember all the details. But basically, throughout the 30s and 40s, arrangers kind of assumed that they were getting the same legal status as songwriters and performers. And there was one legal case that, like, Of course, it was a Black artist who had a white artist cover, and I'm putting air quotes on that cover of their song. And it was basically like a note-for-note copy of the Black artist's song. So the songwriter and the publisher, I, I believe, got some cut, but the arrangement was like an exact copy, and the people who arranged it didn't get the same coverage basically as as the other people who were involved and then that was kind of like reversed with the whole marvin gay uh robin thick thing right. that happened a few years ago because like those songs like if you strip the songs down to the the songs themselves the notes the chords whatever then like they're not technically the same song but like it's the arrangement and like the groove and the instrumentation and the vibe which all of that is arranging and and that was kind of like reversed, and it's like no, like arranging is its own thing and needs to be protected, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like imagine trying so, yeah, to play, I, I, um, Sir Duke on like acoustic right. guitar and like yeah. say it sounds the same.
1: Right. Yeah. But it's 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 about the arrangement and and the vibe and the groove.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that precedent is still kind of not completely flipped on its head because. I don't really think there are too many people who make a living off of arranging at all.
1: Yeah. I think it sort of falls into other, um, it falls into other roles. It falls into the songwriting. It falls into the producing. Um, and again, I think it probably depends on like what level record it is you're talking about and what genre
0: it yeah. is. Yeah, That for sure. Genre makes a big difference in all of this too. Cause like what producer means to, uh, a classical record versus what producer means to a hip hop record is a wildly different job.
1: Right. Yeah. I feel like in a classical or like new music world, the producer is much more like just like cat wrangling and like getting everything going smoothly and kind of like guiding the whole thing. Um, Whereas like in hip hop, like the producer basically is creating a track. Yeah, and so it's like is that songwriting like no like they're producing they're creating the whole thing but then like is someone who's rapping on that track are they the songwriter and actually I remember at Purchase taking a class in like music law music and entertainment law And they were saying, like, if you want to go into entertainment law, like hip hop is a great field because like the the intricacies of like the legality of all of it is so complex. And like there's always a need for lawyers in that because there's so much to work out because so many people are involved. And like you have people featured in different versions of a song and like it's using samples and like there's so much to sort through on the legal side and I just thought that was really interesting. It is. Um as opposed to like, you know, Jason Isbell record is like we have the songwriter, producer, performers. It's just like much more straightforward. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely yes. We're hitting some time. So I wanna shift gears to um and something I meant to tell you before we start recording, but Mm -hmm. Conveniently left out. Uh, We like to play a game at the end. I only have one so far. I'm going to try and come up with more games. But I think this is probably going to be the one I do with musicians anyway. Mm -hmm. I have not come up with a name for it. But shout out once again, friend of the podcast, Mike Perlmutter helped me come up with a better way to format it where I'm not just throwing everybody under the bus for a good laugh. Um, And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, This is not a game that we played win. Really? Really? This is a game okay. that we play to have a good time. Uh,
1: but I love winning.
0: <laughs> but I have, uh, with his help, figured out a way to make it feel more like a winnable game, which is that basically here's what we do is we go through some bonkers YouTube comments on music videos, either <laughs> studio or live, and we uh, try and guess based just on the comment who uh, and what the song is. Oh, and, man. Uh, okay the way that I'm trying to format it now is to leave the most obvious comment for last. So we'll start like hard and you can ask questions about who it is. It's pretty free form. You can ask for hints. Um, okay. I guess the challenge is to ask for fewer hints, but really it's more just fun. So we can laugh at the things people say on YouTube videos because mm-hmm. they're very funny. I think
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: I have tried to select some songs. I think you will know uh, you can tell me how good of a job I do of that. We're going to start with an easy one. Cause there's literally no way to not guess what this is just based off the comments oh, but they're man, very fun. I hope I get it. Uh, if I find the right one. Let me see. Okay. Let me see. I don't even know which one is the hardest cuz they're all so easy. <laughs> oh yeah, this is the hardest.
1: That's good. That's good for me.
0: Yeah, right. All right, I'm going to blank out the name of the artist and song if they say it. Okay. This is uh someone's uh Valentina Vargas a year ago with uh 1.4 thousand likes. Uh, proposes this imagined interaction between the director of the music video and the artist. Director, colon, how many beautiful women do you want in this? Artist, colon, yes, all caps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and assume you have no guests uh, Watermelon yet.
1: sugar? Is
0: Jesus it watermelon Christ. sugar? <laughs> You're right,
1: it is watermelon <laughs> sugar. Yes, that's good gra- I, I watch that the video like these. every single day. It's one of my daily rituals. <laughs> You, that's amazing. I've got to watch Watermelon Sugar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny because the last episode was with Anne, and um, I did one comment and she guessed what was it, Thriller by Michael Jackson. I was just like, You're Mm -hmm. right.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, I was like, I guess I have to read the rest of these. I do think Watermelon Sugar will be up there with things like Thriller. I was just like, Truly iconic pop culture. Like, just really, really good pop culture yeah it is when i think of pop song it sounds
0: a lot like this song
1: it's like the pop song it's so i that album just like is, is off the charts it's so good
0: oh absolutely we are gonna give the rest of these comments their time in the sun though uh let's see yes my favorite i'm gonna save for last uh the next one is from someone named janice castillo who says wait a damn minute this song isn't about watermelon at all
1: oh my god yeah that's so funny we were i was watching that video with my mom one time and i was like she she was like wait a second (laughs) i was like yep (laughs) yeah it's it's, i don't think it's about watermelon
0: (laughs) someone named those two guys says harry colon takes a bite of watermelon also harry colon it tastes like strawberries (laughs) (laughs) and my favorite comment though is from Oh, how am I going to read this? Granola Liliana, who says, and this going got 16K likes, deserves it. Harry is officially one of those people in the math problems who buys 98 watermelons.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so funny.
0: That's a good one. All right. That's the easy one. That's really true. Because all the comments are about watermelons, so... Yes. Okay. Now this one's funny. We're going to have a laugh at this one and this is going to be at the expense of this one, I think more (laughs) at the expense of the commenters than the song, but, uh, let's see, what's a good one to start with. All right. Well, um, I don't know who these people are, uh, but they are verified on YouTube. They have their check Mark, uh, and it Mm -hmm. is nucleus medical media, not endorsing that because I don't know who they are, what they stand for. But they say <laughs> this song should be the U.S. national anthem. And I feel like I should be reading all of these with like a gritty southern accent. Okay. Uh, not because the artist has a gritty southern accent, but because the comments have mm-hmm. that attitude about them. Any, any yeah. guesses so far? What does that jump out at you as?
1: Born in the USA?
0: No, not close. No, but if they were um, uh, misunderstanding the meaning of the song, they might say that. Um,
1: Which well, everyone always...
0: Oh, absolutely! No one
1: knows what that song is about. Never. I, I love when Republicans use that song as like a fucking you know, campaign song because it's just like this is going eight miles over your head. You have oh, no yeah. idea what's going on. dude. it's you? like the video of the it's people really in funny. the rubber
0: Trump masks dancing to "Rage Against the Machine."
1: <laughs> yup. it's like phew, you are it's not like, catching. I don't, this, don't are think you? you know what the machine is. <laughs> yeah.
0: This next one is from uh, Victor Elliot Alvarado Diaz as. If that's how you spell Elliot, that's probably wrong, but close enough for me. A strong man, man is in capital M A N, stands up for himself. A stronger man, once again, the M is capitalized, stands up for others. Period. Sure. And this
1: is a comment on the YouTube video.
0: Yep, okay. it has nine hundred and sixty-two likes. A lot of people agree.
1: Oh man, I shouldn't read everybody's um, okay, name, but I, I feel like I have to credit them for it. Like comment. What decade it came out?
0: Um, great question.
1: Like what's what's the decade of it? you don't have to give me a year but like a decade
0: that is a good question because this artist played over a good couple of decades um, okay
1: so it's like a legacy song.
0: artist this is a this was a recorded one. in the late
1: 80s Hmm. okay
0: uh let's see um, well this will give away the artist is it
1: Springsteen or no okay it, it is
0: let's not it. this will give away the okay. artist though i I think this comment needs to be fact-checked. Lefty21 says, (laughs) You know you've made it as a musician when you have Jeff Flynn, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison in your backup band. I don't believe Ringo Starr was in this band, and I don't believe they were backing up this artist in particular. I believe it was a supergroup, but depending on how you see this artist's position in the band, I guess.
1: Oh, man. I feel like this should be a dead giveaway.
0: It is, but only if you were already thinking about it, I think.
1: (laughs) Ringo Starr and who are the other ones
0: well Ringo Starr is the one I think they got wrong Jeff Flynn and George Harrison um, I'll re- go ahead and replace Ringo Starr with Roy Orbison for you if that helps
1: oh 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 is it the Traveling Wilburys
0: I believe that is what Lefty21 is referencing
1: okay so I is have it, not asked them is it Tom Petty it
0: is Tom Petty you're, so you're getting okay. there
1: okay alright we're getting closer so like a, an anthemic United States song by Tom Petty
0: I don't know that it's really United States, but people sure want it to be, I guess. Okay. This one says, and it's from Milky with two Ys. God God. bless America. Love from the UK. Doesn't give it away. This artist is not from the UK. The last comment Um, gives it away. Do you want it?
1: It's a Tom Petty song, though.
0: It is. I don't know if it's his, though. Mm -mm. I'm actually fairly confident it's not, but everyone knows his version.
1: Oh, God. This is going to be so obvious. But yeah, tell me. I can't think of it. My mind is just a, a blank void.
0: The last comment is from someone whose name, I respect, Playlist Master, who says the dislikes are from the people who back down.
1: Oh, (laughs) I won't back down.
0: That's the one.
1: Is that the song?
0: That was the one. (laughs) I I hope these comments are as funny to you as they are to me. (laughs) What's that?
1: I'm just I just that's really funny. That, That gave it away.
0: Yeah, a little bit. People think
1: that should be the American Anthem? These people do. (laughs) That's a very interesting choice. I mean, there's a lot of songs I think should be the the American Anthem, but that's really funny.
0: That's good. Uh, Let's see. Where's the good? Okay. This is another hard one because the comments aren't really about the song, but I just thought that you particularly would enjoy these comments.
1: Okay, let's hear them.
0: Let's see. The first one from oh god I have to zoom in hmm. I'm not gonna try to pronounce that it's like somebody's gamer tag here okay uh, when you put all your skill points on songwriting and there's none left for dancing
1: was it like Bob Dylan or something
0: no but that would be pretty funny too
1: <laughs> I can't uh, yeah I just can't imagine Bob Dylan dancing yeah
0: I mean either <laughs> I I will group this with <laughs> I
1: would like to imagine it though
0: <laughs> yeah right I'll group this with Jack who says. I love watching these live performance videos because Blank is jamming out with some seriously bad dance moves, which is a vibe I can totally relate to. Oh
1: my says gosh, Jack, that's so funny! Though
0: I also can relate.
1: So, is this a live a live video?
0: It is, and none of these comments okay. are giving away the artist or the song, but the last one will. Okay. Uh, again, we're mostly here to laugh at some bonkers comments because they're great. Uh, Grace says, "Y'all leave his dancing alone. It's cute." Mm.
1: That's Here. so funny. Someone's Standing up for stand this up for one. For
0: and the last one, which we'll give it away, is... I also don't know how to pronounce this person's gamer tag here. <laughs> it says the only boss I still listen to. Hard eye emoji.
1: Now we're talking about Bruce Springsteen.
0: We are talking about Bruce Springsteen.
1: Finally. There's nothing
0: here that would lead you to guess what the song is. It's a danceable Bruce Springsteen oh, song, wait. I suppose. Is
1: it dancing in the dark?
0: No, you would think, right? <laughs> oh, because
1: he does do that dancing with Courtney Cox in that video.
0: Oh, I haven't seen that one. That would, that would have been a yeah. good one to look up. I just looked up Bruce Springsteen yeah. and clicked the first one I could see, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was Hungry Heart.
1: <laughs> He's d- interesting. That song is so sad.
0: Yeah, right. That's but I guess like the... That song uh, me to shreds. I guess but in this, the, this, the particular production. live performance, he was feeling it.
1: Coming back to the production discussion, production makes it danceable. Oh, yeah. But, like, the actual lyrics of that song are like heart-wrenching
0: yeah it, i love stuff like that brian wilson is big on that this like beautiful like joyful sounding music that's like the lyrics are like about not having what you want or like never gonna get sometimes what you i want. feel
1: very sad yeah yeah
0: that's yeah. Yeah, literally sometimes i feel very sad over and over again
1: i'm like me too little brian it's okay <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it through this together
0: yeah exactly mm-hmm. well that was the game I hope that wasn't excruciating. I have a lot of fun laughing at the things people say. Um, we're laughing with them, I yeah, promise. Yeah, I feel
1: like I did pretty well. Yeah. You did.
0: You nailed the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, You nailed the wow. first one on the comment that yeah. wasn't obvious. The one comment that I thought was going to be the one you didn't guess the song from <laughs> is the one you guessed the song from.
1: <laughs> That's funny. I should have chimed in with Springsteen earlier on that last one because I was, I was thinking it, but now... Me telling you this after the fact, you probably don't believe, believe me. But you. like, of I was picturing the whole time. The you do not come off as a liar to me, yeah. <laughs> or someone you. who I would care enough do, about but... a silly
0: game to lie about being good at it.
1: <laughs> to lie about that, yeah, yeah that's exactly. a great point. You should save yeah, your lies for something true. more important. <laughs> things that matter. Lie about things that matter.
0: Yeah, and on that note,
1: <laughs> I only lie when it counts.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Delaney Hafner of the Bell Curves, you have graced us with your presence and i appreciate that so much that i'm going to ask you where can people find you not physically of Um, course because that's dangerous unless they mean shows i'm
1: not going to share that information my dad has my location from my phone on his phone but he's really the only one that's going to get that info um i'm on instagram and uh facebook under the bell curves that's b-e-l-l-e because you know puns always good always good um, yeah, I am on Twitter, but, um, Twitter is really not the platform for me.
0: It's for the hot takes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they are, um, boiling hot takes. If anyone oh, yeah. is interested, <laughs> not flaming hot, boiling hot. I don't know why I went boiling, but that's true. Boiling's good. Um, and I think probably my, my best platform is Instagram. So you can find me personally, Delaney J Hafner. On Instagram and the Bell curves, and that's B E L L E. And where should people um, and go the music for the is, music? Is everywhere. Yeah, the music is all over the place. It's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Bandcamp is really where it's at. Bandcamp is like the cool spot. And actually, I just started this thing where people can subscribe on Bandcamp, and it's basically like Patreon uh but it's better for music because it's on Bandcamp. How many Absolutely. times can I say Bandcamp? Um, no, keep doing it. You and you so, and Pete are like the
0: biggest uh like um cheerleaders of it.
1: I just think it's a great platform and there's actually like kind of like a social aspect to it which is really cool like you follow people, they can follow you back, you get notified when people put music out. It's like, like it's almost like an Instagram for music. If you wanted to use it that way, like real avid music fans can can really get into some get into the weeds there, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, but yeah, so subscribers on Bandcamp get like early releases and like there's some exclusive recordings there, which is kind of cool. But yeah, I mean we're we're everywhere. We're on the internet, so upcoming shows. Actually, the website is yeah. So we have a show. I'm not sure when this will be published but we have a show on june 5th uh which is um like five days from this recording i would love to um, be finished then,
0: with editing this by then we'll cross the fingers
1: <laughs> well if it doesn't happen that's all right um and then we have a show on august 13th at uh misfit kava bar in bushwick that I'm looking forward to, and um, I think some more things are in the works. Um, Pine we're Barrens also part Jam. of the Pine Barrens Jam, which um, is hopefully going to happen. I feel pretty good about it. It's uh, September 18th um, in Calverton, New York, and um, it'll be really cool. It's all original Long Island music, so I'm really excited about that. And I had a curated hand by Long yeah. Island
0: music scene people.
1: Exactly. So yeah. they know what's so, good. Exactly. So we're by Long Island for Long Island, and uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And How there do people will get be into more it? things. The festival, yeah. Um, I you can find the festival on Instagram PBJamLI, all one word, um, and that'll take you to wherever else you want to get to. So that'll take you to Indiegogo and the website and everywhere else. Um, but yeah, that's that's the starting point.
0: Nice. I think we covered all yeah. the things, unless you've got another thing to promote.
1: I think that's everything. We're working on a record that will probably come out sometime early next year. So, Eyes yeah. peeled for that. And uh, yeah, just always making videos, shows, music, just doing doing all the things. So.
0: And that is the way to be, I think. So, thank you so much for sharing all that and for sharing your story and for talking to me. So that makes me feel nice about me. And um, I think people will enjoy hearing what you have to say about the things. Uh, well, so thank thanks you. a lot.
1: I, yeah, I love to talk about myself and share all of my hot takes. So <laughs> nice. this is like heaven for me.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will catch you again with the new album.
1: Sounds great. Thank you, Frankie.
0: All right, that's the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I definitely enjoyed doing it. Um, You can follow me at Frankie Matos Music on Instagram. I believe I'm still at Frankie Matos 109 on Twitter. Um, Frankie Matos Dash Music is my Facebook page name. Um, That's not like one word or anything. Um, The intro music and outro music is growing up slowly that is one of my songs from the unglorious ep it can be found everywhere the music is streamed and the transition music is even the breeze which is the same deal please check out PB Jam li on instagram to find out more about pine barrens jam and um hopefully i'll see it back here soon